Let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We pray that you will open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word as we read from your scripture, Lord. As we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, which is in on page 100 and 860 on your pew Bibles. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who... He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we all we have all received grace in in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, good morning. Uh, my name's uh, Dave Shannon. I'm one of the uh, ministers uh, here at church. Uh, let's uh, please do keep your Bibles open. Uh, we will, you'll need them to follow along as we uh, get into uh, this passage uh, this morning. Let's uh, pray as we uh, kick off our time together. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, uh, the way that you speak so clearly through it, and we are so thankful for this ripper of a passage uh, which shows us the amazingness in Jesus coming uh, to be with us. We are so grateful for that truth and that reality um, that he would come to be with us despite who we are. Uh, We pray that you would challenge and grow us as we hear from your word now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, for a number of years now, uh, my sister, who lives in England, uh, has given me gifts of experiences. Uh, so I've been on hot air balloon rides, indoor skydiving, Lint Cafe, the Melbourne Star, 
lots of experiences. We love to experience things, don't we? We pay a top dollar to experience this world we live in, whether it's going on overseas exotic places or camping, uh, whether it's fine dining or a cheap Asian dive, whether it's the high arts or a Marvel film. Uh, We can live for the next uh, experience. But I wonder how you feel about your experience with God. Do you experience God or do you feel in the dark with him? When it comes to God, do you draw a blank? While others around you seem to know and experience God, feel his presence or or something, their silence for you uh, is heaps and you just don't experience him. Well, in our passage uh, this morning, we'll see why that is the case. Have a look there uh, at at sentence 18, uh, verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God. We don't experience God because we don't see him. And the reason we do not see God is because of our sinfulness. You see, when we rebelled against God, rejected his good word for us, mankind, all people were expelled, disqualified from his presence. You see, it's our sin that bars us from truly knowing and experiencing God. But you see, verse 18 doesn't end there. While that first part is quite negative, the other part is quite positive. Have a look there from the rest of 18. But the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And despite not being able to see God, we can know God. Incredible. The one and only Son, Jesus Christ, has made it possible for us to know and experience God the Father. And while other religions may claim to know God or a God, their gods are always distant. They are needing to be peace. They need to be made happy. And they certainly do not provide any assurance. He can't be seen. So how do I know that I have done enough to appease him? And for some, they may claim that all religions are the same, all paths lead to God. But that is just like my auntie Barbara. She died a few years ago. Um, so you wouldn't have a clue who she was, Emily. My wife met her once or twice. But uh, if I asked you what did she look like before she died, what would you say? Was she tall? Was she short? Was she somewhere in the middle? Was she skinny? Was she large? Did she have brown hair, green hair maybe? Look, you could guess. You could guess what my auntie looked like, but it would only ever be a guess. You wouldn't know for certain because you have never met her. But say uh, someone says that she's all of those things. She's all of those things. Would you believe them? It'd be crazy to think that you're all of those things, tall, short at the same time, skinny, like, it's just not possible. But see, if I had a picture, I don't have a picture. I'm sorry, I couldn't find one. If I had a picture, though, and I put it on the screen, all would be revealed. You would see exactly what she looked like. The mystery about her would be revealed. And you see, that is the same for us and God. We can know God because the Son has made him known. He has revealed him to us. We can know for certain, without a doubt, and he conspires him because the Son has made him known. And so as we read through the book of John this term, the Gospel of John, 
we're going to see how it is that Jesus makes the Father known. And we can have full confidence that we can know him and he can experience him too. Uh, John's Gospel is a, a biography, an account of the life of Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful Gospel. It is quite a simple and easy gospel to to grasp and understand and yet at the same time it is extremely, extremely complex. Uh, Some people have described it like a river or a stream where it's so shallow that a a child can splash around in the shallows and, and wade out there so comfortably and safely and yet at the same time it can be so deep that an elephant can wade out into the middle. And we know this uh, for a fact when we think about the the cardboard signs we may see on the TV when someone has John 3.16 plastered on it. This is the most famous verse there is. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish uh, but have eternal life. So simple, so easy to understand and yet so, so complex. I'm sure uh, Chewy would be aware, having worked at a theological college, uh, but John's gospel will be argued and debated, people going blue in the face, until the end, and only until Jesus returns will the complexities of this gospel finally be resolved. And that's the gospel we have the privilege of, of reading together uh, this term. But one of the things that's uh, quite easy to notice and grasp as we read through is this, there's lots of repeated themes, themes and ideas that kind of are repeated again and again and again throughout the book. And some of these themes, which we'll touch on briefly uh, today, are mentioned uh, in the introduction at the very start, but really are fleshed out in full as, as, we, as we keep on reading. And so John's Gospel is a biography, and, and like all good biographies, they, it starts at the start. But not the beginning we think of when we think of Christmas. In Bethlehem, where the baby is wrapped in cloth, with the, with the baby in the manger, the feeding trough. No, no, no. The very beginning. Have a look there at, at verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Did you notice uh, anything familiar in those opening uh, words? In the beginning. These words, in the beginning, they they echo the very start of the whole Bible in, in Genesis, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And this is deliberate to show us that the pre-existence of the word, that the word has always been. There has never been a moment when the Word was not present. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word, and the Word was God. But you see, the question that really rattles around my brain as we, as we read the, that verse is, why the Word? Why, why, we, we know that, well, we, we may not know, spoiler alert, it's, it's Jesus, uh, but we may think, why describe Jesus as, as the Word here? In fact, the name Jesus, he's not mentioned until verse 17. So, so why the word? Well, back in the Old Testament, the section of the Bible written well before Jesus, in the book of Genesis, uh, God's word is linked to creation. When God speaks, it happens. His word and his actions, they are linked 
Likewise, his word is linked with revelation. When God speaks to a number of his prophets, it's his, his word. The word of the Lord came to, insert prophet. Uh, and same, his word is linked with deliverance. Uh, he sent out his word and healed them, we see in, in one of the Psalms. God and his word are so intertwined that his word and God himself are, are the same thing. As one is done, the other uh, happens. They are perfectly linked in what he says and what he does. And so what we see in this passage as we meet the word is that the word has always been, the word is eternal. And he is divine, he is God. This is one of the clearest places in scripture that speaks about the divinity, the godness of Jesus. And in verse 3 we see that the eternal divine word is also the creator. Have a look there at verse 3. Uh, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Uh, not only the, is the word eternal, he is also creator. All things were made through him. Nothing that we see hasn't been made by the word. I read these uh, funny books uh, to my kids. Tim, there's a slide for, for this uh, um, for this picture, these funny books called The Bad Guys. Uh, it's pretty funny, I really like them. Uh, anyway, there's this alien who kind of comes and he claims to conquer the earth. He claims to conquer the earth. And what does he do? He wants to personalise the earth. And so he writes, can you see up there? He writes mine all over all the planets. The world is mine. The world is mine. And while this alien writes mine all over all the, all the earth, that is what Jesus does. He, the word, that is what he can do. The earth is all his, but not only the earth, the planets, the stars, everything in the entire universe, everything in it and everything on it is his. He has made them. Everything that we see, nothing exists that hasn't been made by him. Jesus is the word, the eternal divine creator of all things. And so how do we know this one? How do we get to know this one? Well, we see here that he came to be among us. He came to live among us. And as he comes to be with us, we're going to notice uh, three things. The first is that the light shines in darkness. The second is that the word rejects the light. And the third is, but those who receive him three become children uh, of God. Let's look at that first one there. Uh, We see that the light shines into darkness. In verse 4, we see that the word is also the life. Have a look there from verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Life is a, is a theme we'll see throughout John. So, so I won't go into too much uh, detail now about it. Uh, but what we'll see again is the similarity with the creation account. With, with light and life. You see, light gives life. Uh, you cannot have life without light. Plants, people, we can't function, we can't grow, we can't do stuff without life. We need light for life. And light and darkness, they are distinct. They are separate from each other. You can't have both. It is either one or the other. So just like a good comic or a Marvel, DC, movie, TV show, whatever, light and darkness usually represents good and evil. 
You see, the darkness here is the world estranged, alienated from God, spiritually ignorant, blind, fallen, sinful, dominated by Satan who is all of those things. And yet there was his promise written 700 years earlier, uh, which said this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And the light has come and it has triumphed like a torch with new batteries shining in darkness or the sun rising in the morning, light overcomes the darkness. And so God sends someone to testify about this light. And we see that that's uh, John, John the Baptist. Have a look there from verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. Here is John the Baptist. Now the reason why it's John the Baptist uh, and not uh, the Apostle John who, who wrote this gospel is because the gospel writer who wrote this, he never describes himself as John. He always describes himself, we'll see this throughout the gospel, as the disciple Jesus loved. He, he makes that distinction clear. And so this here is speaking about John the Baptist. Uh, and he was sent by God to prepare the way to witness so that he could testify about the light. He was not the light, but he pointed to the light. John the Baptist was the first of many witnesses uh, to Jesus. And he did that. He was a witness so that people would believe, that they might be able to see and trust and believe that Jesus is the light, that only Christ is the one who can provide salvation for a world in darkness. Light shines in darkness. Uh, and the second is that, so well, as light shines in darkness, the second point is that the word, the world, sorry, the world rejects the light. Have a look there from verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. In John's gospel, the world. Uh, is a way that John uses to describe sinful humanity. All things belong to this sinful world that we belong. And so this, this true light, this genuine light comes into the world and how's he received? Well, he's not. He's not recognised. Uh, there's his family uh, with a pet dog uh, and this dog adores everybody. So much puppy love, loves, loves, loves everyone. And everyone loves this dog. This dog is, is loved, is loved, except the dad. The dad and this dog have this like really vicious, hostile relationship between each other. It's not really nice. The dog loves everyone except for the dad, hates the dad. Uh, but what the dog doesn't actually realise is that in this family, the dad's the one who pays for it. He pays its vet bills, he buys the food, he, he buys the toys, everything. And so it's a classic example of, of biting the hand that, that feeds you. 
And you see, that is the way that we see the world treat the light. The creator of all comes into his creation, the thing that he has made, and they do not recognize him. And the reality is this this affects all of us. This is the stance that we all do. We have rejected our creator in the way that we ignore him. But it's not only us, uh, most of us would be, would be Gentiles, but it's also the same for Jews as well from verse 11. Have a look there. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even his very own people, the Jews, in whom God had had a special relationship with him, as Jesus comes, he is not received. But what's important to realise here is that this is more than just mere intellectual rejection. This also involves a willing refusal to accept or believe in Jesus. A rejection of the claim, of his claim that he is equal with God and that his work reveals the Father. That through his words and his actions he reveals the Father. And so as the light came into the world... All of us are the same. We have rejected the light by not receiving Jesus and instead actively reject him. The world rejects the light. And so while the the light shines in the darkness and the world rejects the light, point three, those who receive him become children of God. Have a look there from verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And for those who do receive him, who entrust themselves to Christ and acknowledge his divine claims uh, and confess him as Lord, who believe uh, in his divine name and the full extent of what he has come to do, uh, they can be called children of God. But to believe in the name of Jesus, is really to go against the current patterns of the world. To go against the patterns of the way that the world thinks and believes and and acts and what they say is because the world has rejected the light. And so to receive him is to be different from the world. But as we do that, we see... Verse 12, he has given us the right to become children of God. Being a child of God is not a quality possessed or something that was exclusive to to Israel, a right. Being a child of God is a privilege to those who believe. Being a child of God is is a change in status. God is our father. And we have the privilege of calling him Father. You see, in the Old Testament, they had a close relationship with God, yes, but they never, ever called him Father. And yet we have that privilege. When we believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, God becomes our Father and we can have a personal relationship with him. He's not distant. He's not impersonal. He's not stern or or just this mythical thing. No, no, no. We can have a relationship with him we can have confidence as we approach him. Uh, if, you don't, if, if you don't know me, I, I am a father. I have uh, three kids. And these three people here today are the only people who can call me father. I'm sorry, but you do not have the privilege of calling me father. 
Uh, you didn't have the right to, to call me dad. Only my three kids do. I'm sorry. Uh, and, it, and it's the same with us and God. It is only those who believe who are called children of God. And so sinful people, those who reject him, they are not God's children until they believe. And so as the eternal, divine creator came into the world, what happened? He shone light into darkness, was rejected by the world, but for those who received him, point number three, they became children of God. Which brings us to the most profound thing in this passage. And that is that the divine, the eternal divine creator became flesh. Have a look there from verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The eternal divine creator, the one who has always been the word, became flesh. That's right, flesh became a person, not spirit, but flesh, touchable, you could touch him. And flesh encompasses all things that is unique to to us, so distinct and different from God, that is our our sinfulness. We, We are fleshly, and yet the Word, this eternal divine creator, he became flesh, he became like us. But see, the big difference between the, the, the flesh and the eternal word is that he was without sin. He took on human form and, and he experienced all the temptations of the flesh, but he remained sinless. And so what's important to understand here is that the divine, eternal creator, Jesus, as he became flesh, didn't stop being God or that he only appeared to be human. No, 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 no. At the same time, he remained fully God and when he became man, he remained fully man. And by becoming flesh... God chose to be with his people in a more personal way than he had ever been before. Again, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The idea of dwelling here uh, is the idea of God taking up residence uh, with his people. Uh, It's the idea of of pitching one's tent uh, among them like the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was it was a tent uh, in which God dwelt among his people. God's people, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, and yet they called out to God, and God rescued them. He brought them out of slavery and brought them into their own land. But before they entered this land, God dwelt among his people in the tabernacle, in this tent among them. He pinched his tent among them. And yet this is what the word does. The Word who became flesh, he pitched his tent among us. Uh, Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we need to see here in this this passage is when it refers to the us and, and the we here, This isn't actually referring about us here today, present here in this this room. No, 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 it actually refers to John who who wrote, the Apostle John who who wrote this, and the disciples in general. 
because they lived with him and they observed and witnessed firsthand all Christ's works, all the works of Jesus that he had done here on earth. They saw his earthly ministry with his own eyes. And as they saw Christ, as they saw Jesus, the eternal divine creator, they saw God's glory. They saw God's glory through the the things that he had done here on earth. But ultimately, most supremely of all, as Jesus submitted himself to the Father in giving his life, uh, dying on the cross to save and to rescue us, that was his ultimate glorification. And it's because they saw and they witnessed these things that they wrote it down, that we could read it today, that we too can experience God today. Because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, Back at the start, I I made us uh, have a look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We've seen that despite our sin, despite our flesh, uh, which prevents us being able to see God, we can know God. We can experience the Father because the Son has revealed him to us. Jesus says later in John's Gospel that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, uh, sorry, no one comes to the Father except through me. We can know the Father because of the Son. But not only that, we, not only can we know him, we can have an intimate relationship with him. We have the privilege of calling him our Father. And so as we end, I want us to chew on this fact that the eternal divine creator has become flesh and he dwelt here on earth. He didn't need to do that, but he did to rescue us so that we could become children of God. Let's remember that this week. Let's not take that for granted and be thankful constantly for this wonderful gift, this wonderful gift that the Word became flesh. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that we can call you Father. Through Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling here on earth, he has opened up the way that the barrier from us in our sinfulness and having access to you has been made open, that we may believe and trust in him and be in relationship with you. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus, the eternal divine creator, the word, who's made it possible for us to know you and to be called children of God. Help us never forget this. Help us reflect on this and to not take it for granted. We pray that we'll be reminded of this regularly this week and that would lead us to thankfulness. We thank you for this truth and reality, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.